Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the podcast Contours by the New Lines Institute for Strategy and Policy. My name is Faisal Ahitani. I am the director of the Human Security Unit here at New Lines. And joining me today is my guest, Ala Saif. Ala is a Lebanese political activist. He is the director of growth and innovation at the Solidarity Directory or Dalil Tadamun, Lebanon-based organization that works on building social and solidarity economics and political economy in Lebanon itself. Ala, I've invited you here because to me, you represent part of a new current of political activism in Lebanon with what I believe is a unique point of view on what is happening in that movement and where it's going. In the Lebanon context, you're also directly involved. You've actually run for parliament twice on a list of opposition candidates. And I'll explain a little bit by what we mean by opposition in this context. And more to the point, you ran facing against the conventional political parties in Lebanon in a actually a very important electoral district in Lebanon. Now, Lebanon, of course, has always been a place of political meant and I myself was also involved in Lebanese political activism, but that was a while ago. This is something different. In my personal experience in Lebanon, political activism, political mobilization, protests, etc., were usually focused on high politics, basically the politics of political elites, the geopolitics of Lebanon, the security situation in the country, the foreign policy of the country, and how foreign affairs impacted on the country, etc. Almost by definition, it was partisan. And it was very embedded in the kind of traditional sectarian politics of Lebanon. For those who don't follow Lebanon as closely, Lebanon is a kind of confessional democracy organized along formal sectarian affiliations, controlled by basically a kind of oligarchy of political parties from across the religious sectarian spectrum. It is, as we speak, undergoing the worst financial catastrophe in its history and one of the worst in the world. Its currency has collapsed. Its fiscal situation is a shambles. People are becoming impoverished very quickly. Unemployment is extremely high and the banking system has stopped functioning. People's money is frozen or deleted outright by things that have happened. The system that gave rise to these catastrophic economic and political economy problems is the same sectarian system we're talking about here. It's been in power for essentially all of the history of the country. And it was under this, the incompetence and corruption and divisiveness of this political system that gave us the Lebanon catastrophe that we face today. And a growing number of people, including, of course, Ala, believe that uh, these problems are fundamentally connected to the very nature and fabric of politics and business as usual in politics in Lebanon, and that the only way to basically exit this situation is through a fundamental restructuring and reshaping of Lebanese politics. And that is what I will refer to in this conversation as opposition politics, uh, which is basically a broad political movement defined in opposition to sectarian elite. Now, Ala, I'm wondering if, based on your experience running for parliament, 
and the election of a significant amount of people in the parliamentary elections from the opposition movement into Lebanese parliament. Based on that, a lot of people have been saying it's good. There's now a kind of opposition bloc in parliament, a little over 10% of parliament now. But the opposition movement remains fragmented, remains divided. It's basically itself partisan on some kind of level, and that this is placing a serious limitation on what parliament is or what the opposition movement is and isn't able to achieve in the context of Lebanese politics. Could you talk a bit about those challenges and those divisions? You don't see political parties in the opposition that are as big as representative mm. as those who are in the regime side, in the community organizing power. And this affects the power of dynamics on the local level and affects all the other things as well. So this system gains its power from there. Definitely there are many things that we need to work on, but this is one of them, organizing and mobilizing and having like solid structures in the opposition that have clear political, economical, and social views on all the topics. And you see in Lebanon like 10 groups who think the same, but they are not together. They should be grouped based on political ideology. So those who think the same, they should be in one party and form one party and make it bigger and bigger and bigger. And why do you think this isn't happening? It's too early? Too difficult? I think there is a misunderstanding of real politics in Lebanon that were pushed by the regime itself. That was pushed by the regime itself. So there is a, a practice that is pushed by the current ecosystem and the current situation that is pushing people to not trust each other mass to a certain extent, to work together or to be small groups who can take decisions fast and work together and have synergy between them, even though they share the same views with you, let's say. So we will learn it the hard way that we have to work together to achieve bigger results and to do more. But not this rhetoric that the media and the regime media figures were pushing, you are not unified, you will not achieve anything, because this election is a clear evidence that unity of the opposition at any price and in any form does not mean many seats, because this unity should be between blocks that represents a political ideology and that represents a real power and representation on the ground. Otherwise, it will be like empty bubbles gathered and many logos gathered in one place and they will not achieve anything. So now is the time for organizing such things and pushing forward such initiatives and we're on, on this. There is the municipal elections coming in May 2023. We should play a major role in taking back the local institutions, the municipalities, we should be pushing with all the public institution employees who are affected from the socioeconomic situation to push them to be organized and to be a front end. Definitely, I'm talking about the good ones, not the corrupt. And the public sector itself to prevent the institutions from the final collapse because this is not in anyone's interest. So we need political project that brings back the institutions, save them, develop them, and do the necessary reforms on policy level, and that is pushing forward to change the 
electoral law and to push forward to the independence of the judiciary system so justice can take place, the open files in Lebanon, and to mobilize people on different means and organize them on different means. Do you see any room for cooperation at all with the political parties? Or is it just going to be open-ended opposition, completely incompatible points of view on policy? This is a question that has no yes or no answer. Cooperation, no, because there is no interest or room or benefit from doing this. But whatever count you want to agree on of the opposition MPs, they should mobilize the largest number of MPs from all political parties on their reforms and on their policies and on the policies that benefit people and mobilize people around the topics that I were mentioning before. I don't understand. Isn't that a contradiction? I don't think so. So the opposition political parties should not cooperate with the regime political parties because there is no room for cooperation. How would, uh, like, Hezbollah, let's say, cooperate with Harakat Amal? What are the main bases of this cooperation? What is the common ground for this cooperation? Non-existent. But Halimi Kapoor, which is an MP from Lana Party, can mobilize all the MPs in the parliament who are Harakat Amal or Awni or you want to name, you know, name any one of them, on the law for unified civil law. Cool. Let's say. Or the independence of the judiciary system. To try to influence each and every policy within the parliament that is related to banks. And they did this when they faced all the other MPs and stopped them from issuing this law that is in the favor of the bank. So you're distinguishing between cooperating and lobbying. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, okay. so when you say cooperation, definitely it's there is no common ground for mm-hmm. it. But MPs should be defending their point of view and what they stand for inside the parliament. And for this, they are definitely welcome to do all kind of action in this pursuit of common good. Fair enough. That's an interesting answer. We can't talk about this without talking about Hezbollah a bit. I don't want that to take over the conversation, as it sometimes has a tendency to do. But here you are, you're facing off against this very robust regime that's been around for, one way to put it is 32 years, the other way you could say 80 years or even 100 years, depending how you want to measure it. And this regime is here, and you can agree after X number of years that Hezbollah is now part of this regime. But Hezbollah is also outside this regime, and it's a different kind of player. It presents some of the same problems that the regime presents you with, but also brings a package of problems that are its own. Of course, most obviously, it controls an independent paramilitary force and conducts its own foreign policy. The other groups in the regime don't do that. So when it comes to Hezbollah, what is maybe your collective or you as Allah? Uh, what is the blueprint for dealing with this very particular kind of problem in the context of the things that you say you want to achieve for Lebanon? Hezbollah is the legitimate son of the Lebanese sectarian regime. Such regime cannot deal with Hezbollah or any other 
party who had the chance to play the role that Hezbollah is playing now. Hezbollah managed to manipulate this sectarian regime because he understood the game and he orchestrated it really well. I have my weaponized power. I have my project. I have my social security networks. I have my economic channels. I have my mobilization tools. And I have my interest in this government. And I know every one of the other players, what do they want? And I manage to give everyone what they want. This works as a great tool for cover-up and for legitimizing what I'm doing. That's why what might seem the anti and the pro are all part of the same game, but the difference is who's more powerful within this game. I guess I'm asking you, as far as your agenda is concerned, does it present a different kind of problem? Or is it really just one of the same thing? These other guys, for example, the people you're facing off against, when you ran for election, when you were protesting, you faced some pushback from your circles around you, from the political elite of where you're from, etc. But nobody came and shot you in the head. I'm just being dramatic yeah. to illustrate a point, which is I see Hezbollah as a kind of overlap with the political system. You know, let's say maybe two-thirds of it is the Lebanese regime, or 75% of it. But there's a 25% that is Hezbollah, only Hezbollah. And they're the only people who are allowed to do those things in this game. Whereas everybody else has to make do with a smaller toolkit of what they can and can't use. So it's a difficult question. I concede that. But how are you reconciling what you want for this country with this juggernaut that's in front of you? And how does it figure into the solution? Many of 17th October uprising activists were killed. And they were not only from one sectarian group. Al-Fakhr, Hassan al-Attar, Omar, and Trablus, and Tripoli. And many others were shooted. And one of them is Firas Hamdan, who is now an MP. And this happened definitely, as I mentioned before, after the oppression of Hezbollah directly, and agreeing with all the other parties who did this cover for the internal forces to do their dirty work. But definitely, one would be blind if he said that all ruling class parties are playing the same role as Hezbollah, or as powerful as Hezbollah, or as connected regionally as Hezbollah, or as involved in the region as Hezbollah. They are not the same. But he's orchestrating the show. He's the winning model of the other models. But he's not the same. No, definitely he's not the same. Definitely, he can be more violent. He has the capacity to be so. Uh, he is more capable of flipping things. He has more leverage on the regional uh, scene. He can directly threaten and speak to countries, not to other leaders only. So definitely, we're not talking about people who are equal in power. That's not the case. But you see the power disparity as the thing, not the, and the, quali- not the quality and the of function. the problem. There is some nuances on the quality of the problem. The function of each of those regimes are different. So the function of Hezbollah is different than the function of other parties. I'm not saying something that one would be blind to say. They are different in nature, yes, but sometimes and in some aspects. But they are all main ingredients of this ruling oligarchy. And they feed into each other. And if not feeding into each other, 
they know how to draw the line of the settlement between each other. So that's why now you hear like some similar nuances within the two camps, speaking of splitting Beirut municipality into two municipalities, speaking of we can't live with each other anymore, this separation rhetoric that they fakely name it federalism based on a sectarian basis. These nuances are in both camps because they know how to draw the line of the settlement between each other. So they might disagree. They might be of different nature. They might not agree on the foreign relations. They might belong to different international or regional camps. They might fight, but they know to talk the same language. And that's the problem. Again, you're talking to mafias having a democratic system as a cover-up. Yeah, it's quite amazing. I mean, from 20 years ago, it would be unthinkable to classify them as parcel of the same thing because this was the fault line that was running through politics and people were being killed over it all the time. It was very violent. But now this convergence over the past, I think, maybe five years especially, and it seems like the worse things have gotten in Lebanon, the more convergence there's been in exactly, the elite. And don't forget, Faisal, the consequences of the last presidential settlement, Taswir Rasi and the Ouachayak rhetoric between Uwet and Aouni. The governments that, which they call it the patriotic unity government, so the governments that all of them are part of it. So all of this contributed to the current scene and to the current situation. And not alone, but this presidential settlement was one of the clearest moves because it generated a consensus that was supposed to be very difficult to generate over which direction the government would go. I do want to ask you, as somebody who has had no personal experience with official politics in Lebanon, your decision to enter the elections, people who are not well-versed in Lebanon may think, okay, so what? Here's a guy who decided he wants to run, he might win, he might lose, who cares? Most probably he'll lose because his opponents are so powerful. But in Lebanon, actually, the act of entering politics and asserting an agenda that is outside of the status quo of the powers that be, that in itself is challenging and provocative. And I'm wondering whether you sensed any kind of negative reaction from the community around you, from the powers that be in the district in which you decided eventually to run, uh, and whether or not you could tell us a little bit about that. I hope that it was more uh, that you were hoping it was, or that people might think it is. That's the game. That's not the case. And running for elections, uh, it's not the goal by itself. And it's not something that happened only by choice. Definitely you choose this, but it's not only by choice. And it's not the goal itself. So when you decide to stay in heaven and to come back to your country and to do what you have to do, to contribute to a positive change or a better future or whatever you want to call it. And you start doing what you have to do. You start pushing buttons that you know that they exist before. And then either you decide to stop what you are doing or to walk the extra mile and be real in this position. And this decision I took clearly after 2016, 17. I was in Dubai back then, after the 
2015 protests, U-Stink movement, I was part of it, contributed to the decentralization of the movement. And I decided that I want to be back to my country and do what I have to do to contribute to a better future. As simple as this might sound, as cheesy as this might sound. So I came back and trying to support people who want to build an alternative, be it socioeconomic, be it political, be it cultural, anything. I ended up running for elections in 2018, and back then I was one of the young candidates. And through this experience, I faced many challenges that said to me by action and loudly, this is getting serious. And either you step back or you take the extra mile. And I decided to take the extra mile, whatever the cost is. And definitely there is a cost for this activism and for this action. It can be sometimes hidden. It can be sometimes smart and it can be sometimes very obvious and loud. And we are doing what we have to do because the other options are not an option for me. And I'm not saying that who took any other option is doing less. No, but in my capacity, in my position, in my situation, this is the maximum I can do. And this is the fullest potential I want to grow into. Other people from my generation, they have a different situation. I accept. I, they have different things to aspire. But well, most people want to leave. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that's why. Because they have different things to pursue. And I really accept this. But those who decided to stay, they have to do what they have to do. And I don't see myself doing something extraordinary. I see myself, a Lebanese guy, doing what I can do. If you do what you can do, you are being responsible. If you don't do it, what you can do, you're being a disaster. I'm doing what I can do for my community, for myself, and for what I believe in. And this is genuine. And in the pursuit of what you genuinely want to pursue, all costs are negligible. So that's it. Well, for once, then, we end the Lebanon discussion on a hopeful aspirational note. I respect very much what you've done. And of course, I wish you the best. It's very heartening to see something like this happening. I also know, as just an observer of politics, like everybody else, we know these things are very, very hard. So I'd be interested in following this journey and seeing how it unfolds. And maybe we can pick this conversation up again, actually, uh, in a few months, and we'll see where we all stand. Once you come back to Lebanon, because you're with me in Washington, D.C. right now. And I'm glad we had a chance to have the conversation. Allah Sayyid, thank you very much. Thank you, Faisal. And meeting you and being a guest in your podcast is one of the highlights of this visit. I appreciate that. I really appreciate meeting you and looking forward for more conversations. Thank you. Likewise. Thank you very much.